Welcome to C3 Belconnen. Here's the latest message from our senior pastor, Nick Pint. Uh, we want to start a series. We do this most years as we lead up to Easter with a really Jesus-oriented series. Now, it's not to say that we don't uh, talk about Jesus for the rest of the year. But actually, we dive in a little bit deeper often over this period, and we start to pick out uh, some unique ways that we can understand uh, a little bit more about who Jesus is. You see, we, we all have the same tendency that you'll read right through the Bible of trying to fit Jesus into the scale of our perspective is that, that we, we see Jesus maybe as relevant just to our problems, or, or maybe uh, or we see ourselves as insignificant, and we see God just on a, a, a grand scale. And so I want to help us a little bit as we go on a bit of a journey uh, over this month to just get a hold of a, a different perspective of who Jesus is. We've looked in previous years at uh, diving into the parables and the genius of Jesus in the way that He told stories that showed people uh, what the kingdom of heaven was like. We've looked at different portraits and perspectives of Jesus from the different gospel authors, and uh, that was a whole lot of fun. I think we did that one a couple of years ago. We looked at the prayers of Jesus as well. And so we're going to look over this next four weeks at a a big picture perspective of Jesus and essentially the promise of God uh, in Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus not just limited to your and my experience of Him, and I guess from our smaller perspective, but especially looking at how Jesus uh, was presented right through the Old Testament and into the New, that we, we run this risk in our day and age of seeing things in a really small period of time. So much of our world rolls over every 10, 20, 30 seconds or so, and we lose the big picture. And, and yet what we'll, what we'll discover and be reminded of is uh, that, that Jesus has always been God's plan. He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And so we can see the whole Bible as a part of this incredible narrative that we are, we are a part of as well, that puts us right in the picture. It doesn't actually diminish us, but it reminds us that it's not just all about us and how we see things in a moment. So we're going to look at the promise of Jesus and His coming. It's going to be a whole uh, lot of fun. It's a little bit like the fact that you could probably pull out Google Maps right now and pick a point anywhere uh, in Australia and tell it to get to here and there'd be a way. Right? Even through the passages of the Old Testament that you might think, how is that about Jesus? There is a, a way to Jesus from everything in your Bible, not just the parts where he's explicitly mentioned. So this is going to be a kind of a fun uh, journey together, especially, I think, as we approach Easter and this challenge of not just seeing Jesus' victory uh, you know, in isolation, but understanding that he is actually the fulfillment of God's promise to all of mankind. In fact, it's his crucifixion and resurrection is actually the climax of history. It is, it's this great hinge or turning point where God accomplished, through the salvation, accomplished the salvation uh, which all of history had been driving towards. Jesus himself said it like this in John chapter 5 and verse 39. He's talking to a group of religious people. And the fascinating thing is that these people were on the lookout for the Messiah. They understood what we easily miss. They didn't, they didn't have a New Testament, right? So their scriptures, their Bible was the Old Testament. And they knew that it spoke of the coming of the Messiah, of one who would fulfill God's promises and redeem his people, their saviour. 
but they, they missed it. They saw a part of the picture, but they missed so much of who this king would be, and we'll unpack this over coming weeks. James is going to help us look at some parts of that. Uh, next week, we're going to look at some of the ways that we can see Jesus in the characters or objects or events of the Old Testament. We'll look at some of these actual promises from the Old Testament of the coming Jesus. But when Jesus was speaking to these guys who were looking for the Messiah in the Scriptures, He had this to say to them. He said, you search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. I love this. But the Scriptures point to me. How cool is that? Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. They got so buried in their own understanding ultimately in shaping up the God as how they thought he would be, that they missed the very one that the Scriptures talked about. The Scriptures all point to me, Jesus said. I love that line. You see, real life wasn't found in what they studied. Real life wasn't found in their knowledge or in their abilities or in their history or their heritage. Jesus was saying, real life is found in me always. All of God's Word points us to Jesus. You know, these, the Jews, God's people, had been looking forward to the arrival of the Messiah for centuries. They understood that he was prophesied, that God would send this Savior for his people. But they did miss so much of what would help them identify him because it didn't fit with their picture of this victorious king. They, they did what so often we all do, and they reshaped God into their image and decided what he should look like. Hebrews 1 tells us this. I love the way uh, this book starts. This is long ago. God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. That's a, an incredibly succinct and powerful way of saying Jesus is at the beginning of it all, and He'll be there at the end of it all. The Son radiates God's own glory, and He expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. And when He had cleansed us from our sins... He sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. That's a three-verse summary of redemptive history. How cool is that? That from the very beginning until now in his complete victory, Jesus has been at work in and through all of humankind, all of creation, including us to this very day. So you and I are put right in the middle of that picture. And in the old days, it was through the law and the prophets, but you and I are blessed to hear the message about God's saving grace through Jesus, who represents God exactly. He's not a faded image of God. He is the fullness of God for you and I to experience and to encounter. You know, after his resurrection, Jesus still had some work to do uh, with the disciples. and He wanted them to understand not just that this was an impressive, powerful moment, a great miracle or a significant achievement, something for them to hang on to and be inspired by. He was at great pains to make sure that his disciples understood and saw how this was all a part of God's grand plan for salvation. There's a moment at the end of Luke's gospel that we're going to have a little look at uh, for a moment because I see in the behavior of the disciples here uh, so much of ourselves to this very day. And uh, you may know the story. It's called uh, the, the Road to Emmaus. 
And after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, there's some disciples who are still a bit turned around because it hasn't gone how they expected it to be. That's me sometimes. It's circumstances are not looking like I wanted them to be. God, this was not a part of the plan, you know, in brackets, my plan. Not your plan, but this is not a part of my plan, God. And I allow these things to limit my perspective. And we pick up this story in Luke chapter uh, 24 from about verse 25, as Jesus is walking alongside a couple of the disciples. Now, there are many moments like this in the Bible. And, and I find it really easy to read them and think exactly what Jesus says to them, you foolish people. You know, you might read some of the Old Testament stories as God parts the waters and a nation walks through a sea on dry land. And yet a few chapters later, they're saying, who is this God and how can he save us? I feel like if that happened to me, I feel like if I'd driven, taken a shortcut across Lake Ginandera this morning to drive to church, that, that I'd be expecting some big things from God. I feel like that'd do me for years, right? That'd, maybe, even, maybe even decades, and so we look so often at, at the stories of the Old Testament and the New and think, oh, you foolish disciples, you foolish people, how did you miss it? But this is you and I. This is Jesus walking with people who are so caught up in their circumstances, they've forgotten who he is and how big the perspective that they should live out of is. And so Jesus has been walking and chatting with them for a while. He didn't just show up and start berating them. He's nicer than that. But you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the Scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering His glory? I love this bit. Then Jesus took them through. Can you imagine this Bible study? Took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining, and, and just notice the alls here. Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Not just little pockets, not just a couple of moments here and there, but Jesus walked them through and said, hey guys, guess what? It's all leading to me. It's all about me. Anyone feel like maybe they need to be reminded about that every now and then? In our, in our circumstances, in all the ways that we've started to drop our perspective, to be reminded that actually this God is big and this God is faithful. And he's outworked his plan in many people's lives throughout all of creation and all of history. And so actually, I can really hang my trust on him. I can put my hope in him. Regardless of what it feels like in the perspective, I can see right here and now he is faithful and he is unchanging. And what he has begun, he will carry on to completion. It's so easy to get confused and bogged down and allow circumstances to obscure Jesus. It says later on in this particular moment, even as he said that, they still didn't quite see. And it was in a moment as Jesus broke bread with them that they suddenly they realized who he was. And then he, he disappeared and showed up somewhere else a little bit later. It's kind of mean, but pretty incredible, right? Their eyes were open to see who Jesus really was. You know, a little further on as he's talking uh, to some more of the disciples, uh, he says, and when I was with you before, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he says, then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures, showing them it was written long ago, the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. And he finishes up by saying, and I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. 
and stay here until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And that's you and I to this very day, a part of the picture. You see, Jesus was not part two of God's plan. He was the fulfillment of all of God's promises to his people. It's very easy for us to, in our modern context, to read the Old and the New Testaments as incredibly separated. Maybe we feel more comfortable with the new and, and the, the nice stories about Jesus' life on this earth and the encouragement from uh, the letters to the churches and the challenges there as well. It's very easy for us to separate what is all part of God's big plan. Ephesians chapter 3 and, and verse 10, I hope you're getting your fill of scriptures this morning, uh, says this, is God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's a big cosmic perspective. It says this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord, the one and only plan. Because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. And I love the final verse here that in verse 13. It seems a little bit interesting, but it's a reminder of the power of perspective. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel Honored. It seems like a little footnote from uh, the Apostle Paul as he writes to this church, but he's reminding them of the bigness of God's plan and saying, hey, so what I'm going through, it's okay. It might be tough for a, a moment, but remember the picture that it fits into. God's eternal plan revealed in Jesus Christ. At the start of this same book in Ephesians uh, 1 uh, from verse 9, the same kind of thought Paul writes to them. He says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is his plan. At the right time, he'll bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. It's a good reminder when you're going through a set of circumstances where you've really convinced yourself that, that, that no one else has ever experienced this. Anyone, anyone done that? I was chatting with someone uh, the other day, a, a member of my family, uh, and, and I could hear that coming out. They'd been through a few uh, tough things. They had a really rough week, and it involved you know, some sickness and a car accident and a few things. Everyone was okay, but it was one of those situations where you can tell people are starting to get that feeling that, that, that life is piling up on me. And who's been there and started to entertain that thought that nobody else knows it like I do? And, and I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to belittle the circumstances you might be in the middle of right now, or maybe you've experienced, and, and in some ways it's very true, no one has experienced exactly what you have, and yet in, a, in another sense, none of us are as isolated as we think we are, that none of our circumstances sit outside of God's plan. None, none of what we're experiencing is actually outside of what God can handle and what He can do. He has put everything under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth, everything from the beginning of creation to the end of time that he is in charge of, all of that comes together under the authority of this Jesus. We looked at Galatians 4 last week and it said, when the fullness of time had come at just the right moment, God sent forth his son to redeem those who are under the law. That's you and I, just the right time. The plan was fulfilled. You know, there are promises, and we'll look more at these in a few weeks, promises in the Old Testament that literally point directly to the coming of Jesus. 
Uh, oftentimes at Christmas, we use a scripture out of Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 uh, and 7 go a bit like this. It says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. For us, it feels like it's a little part of the Christmas story, but it's actually a prophecy to God's people about a ruler. They'd had imperfect rulers. They'd had those they thought were going to lead them out of circumstances and actually fell over again. You see, what you see in the Old Testament is examples that point towards Jesus, That some of the things James will talk about next week. But then also we see in them, while they are a, a shadow, it's often called, of who Jesus would be, we are reminded of their frailty and their, and their failings as well. And so all of these, these who came, maybe in the form of kings or prophets or priests or leaders, were actually just shadows of the real king, prophet, and priest, Jesus Christ, who would come and who would make all of the difference. And so we read this about this king who would come here, and he would set up a government of peace. He would issue forth from the line of David traveling all the way through. And if you read the, that's why we read in, say, Matthew's gospel, right, the genealogy of Jesus, you know, the bit you skip over on, on your reading plan when you get there and you go, so-and-so begets so-and-so begets so-and-so, was the son of, was, oh, I'm so lost and all these funny names. And you just skip through it. For the people who were getting that message, that was so incredibly important. You see, Matthew, and we covered this a couple of years ago as we, as we unpacked this, Matthew was a Jew writing to the Jews, and what he was at great pains to show was exactly that, that Jesus was the fulfillment of all the promises that they'd been hanging on to. He was writing to people who were waiting, who'd been studying and passionately excited about the coming of the Messiah. And he was writing to show to them, this Jesus is that Messiah. And he's the fulfillment. In fact, Matthew uses that word more than any of the other Gospels. Over and over, he says he's the fulfillment. He is the fulfillment. He is the fulfillment. This fulfilled the Scriptures. In fact, Matthew picks up uh, in chapter 4 and verse 13. It talks about Jesus, and he says he f went first to Nazareth, then, he, then from there, left there and went to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region uh, of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled... What God said through the prophet Isaiah, and then he quotes that passage in Isaiah 9 that we've just read that talks about this light breaking forth, this king setting up his government of peace for all of time. And so time and time again, Matthew showed his people that this Jesus is the fulfillment of all you've waiting, been waiting for. As I was kind of studying this over the last couple of weeks, I read a commentary by uh, one theologian. He said this, he said, he loves the way Matthew shows Jesus as the true Israel who escapes from a wicked king like Moses did. Only in Matthew's gospel does he cover the part of Jesus' life where he had to flee into Egypt. And then at the right time, he and his family were brought back out of Egypt like God brought his people out of Egypt. He passes through the water and is declared God's son like Israel as Jesus is baptized. And he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness and tested for 40 days like God's people were through the desert and tested for those 40 years. But unlike Israel who failed the test, Jesus succeeded. And as he comes out triumphant, he leads his people into God's promises, into the promised land, just like Joshua in the Old Testament led the people into the promised land. Isn't it amazing? Through thousands of years of history, 
and all these different writers, God weaves this incredible story that includes you and I to this very day. You know, we see in so much of, uh, of what we read in the Old Testament, things that echo through into the new, and they're pictures of what Jesus would come and do in an even greater and a better way. You might be familiar with the fact that under the Old Testament, under the law, that it required a sacrifice of, a, of an unblemished or a pure animal to, to uh, bring repentance and forgiveness of sins. That there was a, a, that's where the word sort of scapegoat comes from, that someone else had to take the place, right? And so the, the sacrifices were instituted for uh, the forgiveness of sins. And in Hebrews chapter 10, Paul, the, the writer reminds us that Jesus is even greater than this. It says, for God's will, in verse 10, was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. Under the old covenant, the old way of doing things, and if you, if you ever want, if, if you want a, a mind-blowing experience, just read through some of the passages around the, the, the sacrifices for sin and then just map it out and think about your world and my world. Think about a group of maybe a, at least a million people, so three or four times the size of, of our city at the, at the very minimum, and, and read what the sacrifices related to and what was involved in them, and then just try and do some maths about the incredible queue of people and animals that must have sat outside the temple at all times, right, as, as people were bringing the sacrifices for their sins and for all of the impurities and imperfections in their lives. This, so we read this and go, oh yeah, a few sacrifices, and we can sometimes lose the magnitude of what Jesus actually came to fulfill, we would, we would be spending all of our time on these sacrifices if it was in this present day. And it says, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never fully take away sins. But our high priest, this is Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. It's so easy for us to forget the weight of sin. It's so easy for us to forget and think, oh, you know, I just have a few bad days. Every now and then I say a naughty word or I get cranky at somebody who cuts me off in traffic or but no, 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 we're talking about the way we position ourselves daily at the center, the way we take God's place. Sin is not just the things that we do, it's the position that we take. And Jesus, in his once and for all sacrifice, made a way for you and I to be right with our Father in heaven. You know, the writer of Hebrews actually spends most of that book showing us that Jesus is a better and a greater version of all that came before him. I mean, by its title, Hebrews, you know, it was written to those who'd been reading the scriptures and waiting for the arrival of Jesus. They were familiar with the sacrifices and the prophets and all the processes that were a part of their life of trying to be right with God. And essentially, the summary of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is a better and greater version of all of this. He's better than Moses and Aaron, we're told, who were Israel's deliverers. He's better than the prophets and the priests because in him, God speaks directly to his people, like we read in Hebrews chapter 1. 
He's better than the temple, the tabernacle, and all the sacrifices because we are made a dwelling where God lives by His Spirit, and we're cleansed once and for all time by His death on the cross. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, we're told that all the promises of God find their yes and their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. How cool is that? All the promises of God, they are a resounding yes And through Christ, our amen, which means yes. How cool is that? All of God's promises. I know this is kind of a a bit of a historical walk through so much of Scripture and God's promises for us. But my hope really today is that it reminds us all of the bigness of Jesus. That it gives us that correct perspective. Not to make us feel insignificant, but also not to leave us just focused on what we can see right in front of us. And what we're going to do as we get ready to finish up today is actually share communion together. And take a, a couple of moments just to reflect again on what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us. And we often, at this kind of moment, ask the team to just come and start to hand out the elements, but we'll take a little bit of time over this because there's a, a, a picture that we, uh, that we want to get to and want to just use it to bring out a, a few more thoughts uh, about this incredible promise of Jesus. See, as we take communion, we so often think to the, the upper room and we re- remember that uh, what Jesus did was he said, this, this juice, this cup, this wine is my blood shed for you and this Bread is my body broken for you, and it's for the forgiveness of sins and our healing that he won on that cross. You know, even that was an incredible reminder, and it ties back to the part of this journey that started a long time before for God's people. And it's easy for us to lose the significance of what it is that Jesus was doing at what we so often call the Last Supper. He instituted this practice that we should uh, share this moment together. But as he did that, he invited his disciples into what he called a new covenant. This covenant would be sealed by his blood, just as the covenants of old were sealed by the blood of those sacrifices, the blood of animals. Matthew 26, from verse 26, it says this, talking about that time in the upper room. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and he said, each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. His blood would wash us clean, just like the blood of those sacrifices wash the people clean. And if we look back, all the way back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, we see Adam and Eve sinning as they disobey God. And what we read in that passage, incredibly, is that blood was shed for the covering of their sins. It actually tells us that God made clothing for Adam and Eve. They, they wandered without clothes freely associating with God in the garden, in a place of perfection, no sense of guilt or shame. And yet, when they, when they sinned, when they chose to see things from a human perspective, all of a sudden they felt exposed. And it actually tells us that they tried to use, you know, leaves or fig leaves, you know, the, the funny pictures you've seen, you know, I'm sort of standing like this with a little fig leaf there trying to hide their shame. They actually tried to put on sort of like false good deeds to take something kind of nice to try and cover up their real condition. 
And God actually said to him, hey, there's only one way we can do this. And he actually killed an animal and used the skins to cover Adam and Eve and to clothe them. That's an incredible picture of what Jesus Christ has done for you and I. You know, the Bible says that we are clothed in his righteousness. That it's actually none of the ways that we can try and apply false goodness to our lives that makes all the difference before God. And maybe that kind of is a bit pointed for us today, but actually it should set you free. It should remind you that there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. It's not that your good days you're there and your bad days you're not, but there's nothing that you and I can do. You know, the prophets, Isaiah and then Paul in the New Testament pick up this same pattern that we, the guilty, are clothed in another's righteousness. We're clothed in Christ. You know, way back there in the garden, we actually see the very first promise about Jesus in Genesis 3.15. Just after the fall, this, this moment has happened. God speaks directly to the serpent, speaks directly to Satan and says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is a reference to what we see as Jesus goes to the cross. It's a reference to what looked like Jesus being struck and being defeated and yet was actually his complete victory. In fact, the New Testament writers talk about Satan being crushed under our feet because of what Jesus has done. And this is the promise and the prophecy about Jesus' death on the cross right from the very early moments in the garden there. In fact, Martin Luther said it like this. He said, all the promises of God lead back to that very first promise concerning the coming of Christ. And those in the Old Testament era and our faith in the New Testament are one and the same faith in Jesus Christ. Time does not change the object of true faith. There's always been and always will be one mind, one impression, one faith concerning Christ amongst believers, whether they live in times past, now, or in times to come. So as Jesus approached the cross that we're remembering right now, He was fulfilling this promise, the promise of God that brings salvation for you and I. He sat down with the disciples in that upper room and He took what is symbolized by the elements you hold in your hands right now, And he shared the Passover meal with them. And it commemorated a powerful moment in their history when God spared his people as he brought devastation on the Egyptians who held them captive. Instructions came from God to each and every family as he was preparing to lead them out of Egypt and into freedom to worship him. In Exodus chapter 12, we pick up this part of the story. It says, On that night, in verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I'll execute judgment against the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. And they'd been told to take a lamb, each household, and to actually prepare it for a meal, but to take the blood of the lamb and put it around the doorposts. It says, but the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you're staying. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So they celebrated the Passover moment. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. You know, taking part in communion reflects this remembrance of freedom given by God during this exodus. It reminds us that by the blood of the Lamb, by His 
sacrificial death on the cross for you and I. Death passes over. God's judgment that leads to death because of sin does not rest upon us who have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus, the Passover Lamb. This is so significant to Jesus' disciples as it pointed directly to the God who delivered their ancestors out of slavery and into covenant freedom. Jesus was saying with His blood, there is now a new covenant. He's the new Exodus. He's the new Passover. As we take communion now, how about we take a moment to just reorient and get that perspective again, to be reminded and be in awe and in fact that God has made a way for His people throughout all of history to come to Him and it's fulfilled in Jesus' death on the cross. But at the same time, He's also given you and I a personal invitation into a relationship with Him. Thanks for listening to our latest Sunday message. If you would like to find out more about our church, just visit www.c3belconnor.org.au.